This is Anabaptist Perspectives. We're here with David Berceau, and this is your office here in New Am- Chambers. Am- Amberson. <laughs> Amberson, Pennsylvania, a little town in Pennsylvania. And it is a privilege to be here. Um, I, I'm guessing most of our audience is probably aware of your writings. You've written a lot of books. You've spoken a lot of conferences. You're writing two books right now? One book? Uh, I'm, I'm working on a commentary on Matthew. Yeah, okay. So you are a busy man. You get a lot of things done. So we are going to jump in and do a few episodes with you here. And the first topic is one might surprise our audience a little bit, but I'm guessing a lot of them aren't familiar with the Septuagint. So can you just describe what is the Septuagint, where did it come from, and just just give us some background as to what that is. Okay, the Septuagint was the first translation ever made of the Scriptures. It's the Old Testament, wow. uh, translated from Hebrew into Greek, and it's the Greek of the New Testament. It's called uh, Koine Greek or Common Greek, same as the, the, the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said, when was it done? Um, probably around the year 250. We don't have an exact date. 250 okay. B.C. B.C., okay. Uh, so this is centuries before Christ. Um, at least the Torah, or the law, mm-hmm. was done then. We don't know some of the other books, if they were done at the same time, mm-hmm. or if they were done uh, in the decades after that. Most people would say, most scholars, at least by the year 150 B.C., it was all translated. Who was it that would have seen a need to do this translation, you know, those centuries before Christ? Okay, the, <laughs> that's a good question because you, you would get different, different, <laughs> different answers on that. All right. Uh-huh. The account that we have, uh, it's in a, uh, a letter mm-hmm. called the Letter of Aristius, and he purports to be a... Uh, a Greek, a, you know, a Gentile. Mm-hmm. And according to this letter, uh, Ptolemy II, mm-hmm. the Greek, after Alexander the Great, on his death, his empire was divided among his four, four of his generals. And one of them was Ptolemy, who mm-hmm. was given Egypt, okay? Mm-hmm. And this would be the son of Ptolemy I. It's Ptolemy II. Okay. Uh, but there were, I don't know where it ended, Ptolemy the Fifteenth or something. So there's a <laughs> lot of guys named Ptolemy. Um, so this would have been uh, Ptolemy II, sometimes called Ptolemy Philadelphus. Mm-hmm. And he was collecting together works from all over the world, because he was assembling a library there in Alexandria, which in the ancient mm-hmm. world was the greatest library anyone put together. Mm-hmm. And he wanted the writings of, you know, like I say, all kinds of people, not so much just Greek writings or mm-hmm. particularly Greek writings. He wanted all the wisdom of the, of the whole world. Mm-hmm. So he wanted the writings of the Hebrews because, mm-hmm. of course, his kingdom bordered on Judea, and sometimes Judea was included in it, and sometimes it was included in a neighboring uh, Greek kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the official story, which mm-hmm. I myself would believe. And, and he wanted those writings, and so he sent ambassadors to Jerusalem mm-hmm. and asked them if they would send some translators along with writings and translate them into Greek so that they could be read by the Greek population. And according to that account, uh, 72 different ones, 12 from each tribe, were sent from Jerusalem Mm -hmm. together with copies of the Hebrew writings to Alexandria, Egypt. And there they they did this translation. Mm -hmm. Now, people who would be skeptical of of that account 
they say it was probably the Greek community, in, uh, the uh, Jewish community in Alexandria, who were Greek speaking, okay. that they wanted it translated so they could use it in their synagogues because they no longer knew Hebrew. And so they feel mm. like it was that Jewish community behind it. Either way, it was done in Alexandria. I don't think anyone questions that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was almost like we wanted to take these, these writings and put this into the language of the people, at least in that area. Right. Whether yeah. it was the Jews or the Greeks mm -hmm. who were behind it, yeah, either way, okay. it was to put it in the language of the people, yeah. So, in a number of your writings, you've mentioned how a lot of New Testament quotes of the Old Testament or, or illustrations, things like that, come from the Septuagint translation. Can you just discuss that a little bit and give us some examples as well? Yeah, about 90% of the quotations in the New Testament Whoa. are taken from the Septuagint. And that's why... You maybe have noticed, I noticed all my life that one of the apostles quotes the Old Testament and you go look it up, you, you know, you're curious mm -hmm. and you read in the Old Testament, it's like, huh, this isn't how the apostle quoted it. And yeah. I just used to always shrug my shoulders. Okay, I guess there's mm -hmm. a reason and, and all that. Well, yeah, what I didn't realize is that the apostles or Jesus mm -hmm. is, as well were quoting from the Septuagint. And so in the Septuagint, then when you look it up, yeah, it nearly always reads the same. Now, sometimes they're paraphrasing a quote or, or something like, mm -hmm. like that, so it's not always word for word, but yeah, m most of the time. Now, the good news, uh, the Masoretic text, which is the text that the uh, Roman Catholic Bibles and Protestant mm -hmm. Bibles are, are translated from, mm -hmm. most of the time they read very similarly. So I wouldn't want to mm -hmm. give anyone the impression that Oh, wow, it's like there's another whole edition of the Bible or, or yeah. something like that. Most of the time they read, well, most of the time they read exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And then when there are differences, usually there's not like some big doctrine that turns on that. But sometimes it is important the way it's quoted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the significance of that verse does turn on the fact that it's from the Septuagint. Interesting. Is that just because, I guess, Jesus and the apostles were quoting a... A translation, a text that would have been in familiar language for the people of the time, or, or well, yeah, what's going on there? Well, that would be part of it because the New Testament was written, you know, in mm -hmm. Greek, and so obviously, if they're quoting it for Greek-speaking people, they're going to quote from the the Greek Bible. But mm -hmm. there's a little bit more to the story than that, and it's this that over the Many centuries after, say, the time of Moses and, and, and the prophets, the Hebrew Bible, it was, you know, originally written in Hebrew, or most of it was. A, a mm -hmm. few books were written in Aramaic, but, but for mm -hmm. the most part, Hebrew. Different people copied it. They didn't have, you know, printing presses and all that. So you had mm -hmm. people just by hand sitting and, and copying uh, these books, and variations came into the text o over time. You can just imagine something, someone just by hand copying all of this over and over, um, yeah, it, it'd be easy to make a mistake, particularly ancient Hebrew had no punctuation. So there's no sentences, there's wow. no commas, there's, I mean, you know, you're looking at this word and maybe the line below it has the same word and you're, you know, you just skip a line in your mind or, or you know, and, and you've just left out, you know, four words or, you know, uh, whatever the case might might be. After time, there, there developed uh, families of uh, the Bible text, okay? Mm -hmm. Again, whichever one you use, it's, it, no Christian doctrine is going to turn on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, G God did have a providential hand that He, you know, saw that it was preserved, but not word for word. Mm -hmm. So the Septuagint, uh, many times there is a variation in the wording, mm -hmm. and often that variation is highly significant 
to a messianic prophecy. Um, in other words, in the Masoretic mm. text, there's not a, a, a prophecy, but in the Septuagint, there's an important prophecy. You, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll give you an example. I'm going. I'm quoting, having a quote from memory, uh, but uh, in the Psalm where it says, uh, uh, "They pierced my my uh, hands and feet," uh-huh. something to that effect. Okay. In the, that's from the Septuagint. See, we read that, and, and yeah, that's obviously a Messianic prophecy, okay? Yeah. But that's from the Septuagint. In the Masoretic text, it says, a lion is at my feet. And, hmm. and in the Hebrew, I mean, those, it's so different in English. But in Hebrew, I mean, it's the slightest little thing changes that. And, Interesting. And, yeah. yeah. And so, uh-huh. so yeah, there, there's a whole Messianic prophecy that disappears when you're in the Masoretic text. And there's mm-hmm. a number like that that it depends on the Septuagint mm-hmm. and, and not the Masoretic. So, yeah, I would believe that God providentially oversaw the translation into Greek mm-hmm. and that they got the text that was going to have these important prophecies mm-hmm. in them. And, yeah, it's why Jesus and the apostles nearly always quote from the Septuagint. But some of their quotes fit the Masoretic text better. The, the Septuagint played a significant role in the, in the transmission of, of these things. Yeah, the way I look at it, God obviously, you know, foresaw mm-hmm. that the gospel was going to be taken to the, all, all the world. Well, mm-hmm. nobody spoke Hebrew other than the Jews, and most Jews didn't speak Hebrew in Jesus' time, only, only yeah. a few. Uh-huh. So is he going to keep his word locked up in a dead language, or nearly dead language, mm-hmm. or does he want it in a living language that people are speaking everywhere? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, we know from, you know, the New Testament, yeah, he wanted it in a language that could yeah. go across the, the world. And so... Rather than have part of it in Hebrew that then the Gentiles couldn't understand and most Jews couldn't understand, and then part of it in Greek, yeah, mm-hmm. long ahead of time, yeah, he arranged it where huh. there would be a Greek translation, so it would just meld seamlessly when mm-hmm. Christ came and, and the apostles. And, yeah. and so, yeah, we, we are, are blessed by that, and people yeah, had scriptures that Paul could go. And, of course, when the apostles are out preaching— the scriptures were the Old Testament. I mean, the New Testament was just beginning to get written. So when they talk about the scriptures, <laughs> yeah. they're talking about the Old Testament. And they always, I'm mean, like I say, 90% of the time they're, they're translating or quoting from the Septuagint, mm-hmm. but they're always communicating it in Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because Greek at that time would have been the trade language of the world, I guess you could say, yeah. or at least that part of the world, you know. Yeah, just mm-hmm. about... If you knew Greek, you, you know, you could uh, mm-hmm. communicate, yeah, with Romans, with Persians, and, and everyone in, in, in between. So, yeah, amazing. it was a universal language pretty much. That's amazing. So, my question is then, how long after the apostles started dying off that the Septuagint was continued and st- still used by the church? Well, it actually still is today in the East, Okay. It's like unfamiliar. Orthodox, you're saying? Yeah, or, the Eastern okay. Orthodox, mm-hmm. their Old Testament has always been the Septuagint, still mm-hmm. is, and it never changed. The change mm-hmm. only occurred in the, in the West. And likewise, like the Coptic Church, the Church in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. the Armenian, a lot of these, the Bible was translated early on um, into, say, Coptic, into Georgian, into Armenian, and it was translated from the Septuagint. So they're not reading the Greek, they're reading it in their language, but they're reading it from what was a Septuagint translated from the Septuagint. Now, around the beginning of the 5th century, the early 400s, that is, mm-hmm. okay, Jerome, who was the secretary to the Pope, he was commissioned to translate the Old Testament into Latin. Well, actually, mm-hmm. the whole Bible into Latin, okay? Mm-hmm. 
And he unilaterally decided that instead of translating the Old Testament from the Septuagint, mm -hmm. which is what Christians had always done, like say these other ones, and Latin, it had been translated into Latin from the Septuagint, but he was supposed to do a new one, a better edition than what was out there. And he decided, because the Jews were always saying, well, you Christians are using the wrong scriptures, because mm -hmm. by his time, the Jews had rejected the Septuagint. They were no longer using it, even though it was their translation. It wasn't done by Christians. Hmm. You know, it was done by Jews. Interesting. Anyway, so the Jews were always saying, well, you Christians, you've got the wrong Bible, you know. And so he was, he was so tired of hearing that. He said, I'm going to translate it from Hebrew, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, he didn't realize that the Hebrew that there were these two text families and that the Septuagint was translated from a different Hebrew text, you know? Yeah. And so he made the translation from the Masoretic text that the Jews were, were using. Well, I mean, there was an uproar, him, him doing this. I mean, this went against everything Christians had followed, you know, since the apostles. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. it probably wouldn't have caught on. This was what's known as the Latin Vulgate, mm -hmm. except the 400s was when the Western Empire fell to the barbarians. And so at first, you know, they said, no, you know, you've out, you know, overstepped your bounds. You know, we're not going to accept, you know, a translation from the you know, Masoretic text. But yeah, after the barbarians overran the empire and no one in the West hardly spoke Greek, let alone no one spoke Hebrew, you, mm. you know. And when you're just fighting for survival, you know, you're not going to argue, uh, was this translated from the Septuagint? I, I mean, you know, people yeah. didn't know. Learning was was pretty well lost, you know, for centuries. And so... Yeah, it just kind of came in. The Roman Catholic Church yeah. made it the official Bible. And so that's why the West then, you know, the Roman Catholics had one and all the other parts of the church had, had um, uh, the Septuagint. Hmm. And then the Protestants you know, followed Jerome's example and translated from the Hebrew. And so hmm. those of us from a Protestant background, yeah, that's, that's all we've known as, as well. So it's, it's new to us, but it's not new to Christianity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is really interesting. So then... So how does how does this all affect our lives today? How is a 21st century Christian? Why, why does it matter to us? Okay, it is not. Uh, I'll be frank. It is not one of the bigger issues. It, it's not something I'm beating a you know a big drum on. I'm, I'm maybe beating a, a little one, but <laughs> but yeah, sure. there's a lot of other things I, I would think are more crucial. But yeah, it makes a difference. I mean, if the apostles are using the Septuagint. Mm -hmm then why would we not want to be using what they're quoting from? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and the early Christians, all of their discussion of the prophecies and all of this are always out of the Septuagint. You know, it was the Bible of, of the church. Mm -hmm. So when we go to the Masoretic text, then we're separating ourselves from the early Christians, the ones who were closest mm -hmm. to the apostles. And so you start reading their writings and it's like, Huh, they're quoting, you know, this prophecy and yeah, you can't even find yeah. the prophecy in, in your Bible. And, and mm -hmm. this was the experience I had when I mm -hmm. first started reading the early Christian writings. I'm talking about pre-Nicene, you know, from like the 100s and 200s, those first few centuries. Yeah, they were pointing out a lot of stuff that I couldn't find in my Bible because I didn't have a Septuagint back then. Sure. And it's like, yeah, where are they coming up with this, this stuff? So mm -hmm. we're separating ourselves from you know, Christian history, mm -hmm. but fortunately, no major doctrine you know, turns on it. Now, mm -hmm. some of them might be affected by it, but none of them turn uh, on this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, like I say, God saw to it that, you know, uh, either way, people would still have enough mm -hmm. of the truth, enough of His Word that, uh, you know, the gospel, gospel could be carried on. Yes, yeah, so it's almost like it's almost like having the Septuagint and understanding that 
aspect in reading that it gives you a little um, I don't know about a little extra. It sounds weird, but you yeah. know what I mean. Like it, it, it it's is a little extra spice to some of these things that maybe we might miss otherwise. Right. It's yeah. an extra. It's an extra blessing. My wife and I, mm -hmm. when we do our Bible reading every night, we read from the Septuagint. If I'm not, if I'm real tired, I'll just you know listen to her reading, or or <laughs> or, or if she's tired, I might just read and she'll listen. But mm. if I'm feeling enough uh, vitality, I'll put it that way. Uh, I'll try to follow along in the Masoretic text and notice the differences. And most of the time, they read exactly the same. Mm. But often there'll be yeah, one verse, and it's like wow. Now that is interesting because the Septuagint, the way it does it, you can see. Mm -hmm. Ah, this is pointing to the Messiah. That's talking about Jesus, oh, and and it's not that way in the in the uh, uh, Masoretic. So there's a mm -hmm. lot more messianic prophecies for for mm -hmm. sure in the Septuagint. Yeah, yeah, you can see God's providential hand in in placing these prophecies mm -hmm. all throughout the uh, the Old Testament text. So, kind of to wrap this up, what benefits would there be if Christians today would esteem the Septuagint more highly? Like, like how would that affect our reading of the Bible? Okay. So, yeah, I pointed out you're going to see this consistency between the New Testament and the Old. When you look up mm. a quote, it's nearly always going to follow what it says in the New. You don't mm. have that gap like, where did they get this, okay? Mm. Uh, you're going to discover prophecies that aren't quoted in the New that are there in the Old. You, I mean, you can see this and read and, and see, oh, that's mm. obviously a Messianic prophecy, mm -hmm. even though it's not quoted in the New. Like I say, there's the ones that aren't quoted that, that otherwise you don't find in the Old Testament, and then you find them in the Septuagint. And then mm -hmm. there's the ones that aren't quoted that are obviously Messianic prophecy. So it, yeah. it, it does make it uh, a blessing that way. The other interesting thing is there's a lot more difficulties in the Masoretic text. The, the Septuagint, so yeah. many of the Old Te Testament difficulties, not all of them, mm -hmm. but I'm going to give you one, one illustration um, and, I, and that's why I had these these notes. I'm going to just read it just to, for time uh, from this. And, and you maybe have noticed this. It's the account of David. Okay, in 1 Samuel 16, mm -hmm. Saul is having this, this um, evil spirit, you know, that's affecting him, and he wants someone to play the harp. Mm -hmm. you, you probably uh, sure. remember that. Okay, and then this is what we read in 1 Samuel 16. Then one of the servants answered, this is talking to Saul, and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. So David becomes Saul's armor-bearer, okay? Mm -hmm. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. Okay, so David and Saul are very close. David mm -hmm. plays the harp. He's his armor-bearer. And Saul sends a message to Jesse, thanking him and saying, Yeah, I'd like your son David to stay with me, all right? Mm -hmm. Then you go to the next chapter, and this is where David uh, slays Goliath. All yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Then it says this that uh, in ch the very next chapter, in the this is the Masoretic text, which is most of our Bibles. Okay. Mm -hmm. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I don't know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. 
Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine, that's Goliath, in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, did Saul have brain surgery? I mean, this is the guy who's his armor bearer, and he doesn't know him in the very next chapter. He's like, who are you, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, people make all kinds of excuses to try to harmonize it, but, I mean, it doesn't harmonize. I mean, yeah. how can he be yeah. someone who plays the harp before him? Mm -hmm. uh, he's his armor bearer. They're real close. He knows his father because he sends presents to Jesse, and then the very next uh, chapter, he doesn't know who he is. Mm -hmm. Well, in the Septuagint, none of that is there about... Uh, who, who are you, young man? Who is your father? That, that's, it's not even there in the text. In other words, it's only in the Masoretic text. So that's hmm. just one example of difficulties that, yeah, it could affect somebody's faith in the scriptures. I mean, mm -hmm. people, well, we see a growing number of people, yeah, losing the faith in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's inconsistencies like that that people point out and say, see, the Bible, how could it be inspired? It's got something that's that contradictory. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of those are only in the Masoretic text. They're not in the Septuagint. And that's one reason why I feel the Septuagint is the correct text. Mm -hmm. Again, most of the time there are no difficulties. Most mm -hmm. of the time they read the same. But, yeah, a lot of those difficulties are cleared up just by using the Septuagint. That's interesting. So are you suggesting maybe, you know, our listeners, our viewers, go and buy a Septuagint and read through it? I definitely recommend that. It has <laughs> blessed me. Uh -huh. In fact, that's what I use in church. A lot of, uh, yeah, now in church, yeah, most of us are you know, in yeah. the church I attend are, are, are using that because, yeah, we're all finding a lot of blessings in doing that. That's interesting. We should put a link down to where people can buy it. I know you, I mean, you can get it on Amazon or something. I, I have Scro a copy Yeah, Scroll Publishing would, would carry yeah. several different versions of it, and you can, you can okay. take your pick on, on okay. that. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And I think... I think maybe people could check out some of your other writings on this too. I know you've you've done a fair amount of work on this. I've done a, a CD, uh, a series of CDs on just the Septuagint that goes yeah. into a lot more detail and yeah. talks about more of these difficulties. I just gave you one illustration, mm -hmm. but there's a lot more. Yeah, that's oh, that's really interesting. Wow. Would you have anything else you would like to to share? Well, like I say, the comforting thing is that you can see that God's hand has been there. That. Uh, he, he did allow variations so that we wouldn't worship the text of Scripture, mm -hmm. but he never allowed them to get so far that, yeah, if you're using the Masoretic text, you totally miss out on God's Word. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's faith strengthening. On the other hand, yeah, that it's possible to get even closer to what the apostles had than what many of us were using. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not just theoretical. It's practical things like contradictions that can cause someone to lose their faith in the Bible. Yeah. And, and so that's one reason I, yeah, I really feel it's a, a blessing. It's something that our churches should wake up to that. Yeah, we've been using the, mm -hmm. the wrong translation, you might say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you for taking the time to share and all the research that went into this. And I hope, I really hope out of this episode, people are just inspired to go study God's word more, you know. Amen, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate goal right there. So yeah, thanks so much for sharing. I appreciate okay. it. about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast, or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives.
Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.